94 hours that changed the world forever. We started at the Last Supper, and it ends next Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, that we find that the tomb is empty. That's right. Clapping hallelujah. You know, one of the most popular TV shows of recent history is CSI, which stands for Crime Scene Investigation. Anybody watch it? Anybody watch CSI? I just don't have to be ashamed of it. You know? Actually, CSI is a fictional title because the actual law enforcement term is crime scene analysis. And maybe the producers thought that people would think that CSA would be abbreviated for Cub Scouts of America. Or corn salt and apples. Or coffee snobs anonymous. So they put it as CSI. And on this television show, if you haven't seen it, CSI is about a team of experts who examine a crime scene. They use forensic evidence to determine the nature of the crime. And hopefully leads to them to the guilty party. But this morning, CSI stands for Cross Scene Investigation. And I want us to visit the scene of the crucifixion today and look for clues about who was or is actually guilty of crucifying Jesus. After 2,000 years, there's not a lot of forensic evidence But we have several eyewitness accounts. Tradition tells us that Mark is relating the gospel as told to him by Simon Peter. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 15. Or I'm sure it's going to be on the screen as well. Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 21. Mark chapter 15. Starting in verse 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, 
darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on his staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. And I know you're probably thinking, Pastor, you're a week or so, you're a week early for all of this. But we got to remember, too, that we are in the beginning of Holy Week. And this is what's going to take place. Before we look at Jesus' death scene, let's visit another death scene. The state was Illinois. The city was Chicago. The year was 1910. Mr. and Mrs. Clarence Hiller were asleep in bed when they heard a noise. And Mr. Hiller got up to investigate and encountered an armed robber in their home. There was a struggle. Shots fired and Mr. Hiller was shot twice and died as the intruder fled the house. Later that morning, the Chicago police arrested Thomas Jennings. He had a gun and injuries from a scuffle. Thomas Jennings claimed that he had never been near the Hiller home. But there was something that confirmed the fact that he had been there. A few years earlier, Scotland Yard had brought an exhibit to the World's Fair in St. Louis. They demonstrated a new scientific way to identify criminals long after they were gone from the scene of the crime. This new crime-solving method was called fingerprinting. The Chicago police had been studying this science now for quite some time. Unfortunately for Thomas Jennings, a railing on the front porch of the Hiller house had been freshly painted. And Jennings left a clear imprint of a fingerprint in the drying paint that day. Thomas Jennings was the first criminal in law enforcement in history to be convicted using fingerprint evidence. So let's go now back to the scene of Jesus, his crucifixion. And let's determine whose fingerprints we find at the scene. And let's see if we can find out who killed Jesus. There are four suspects. That we need to look at this morning. So we know today. Who killed Jesus. And actually the first suspect is found in. Verse 55 of chapter 14 of Mark's gospel. That we actually read last Sunday. We see it was the chief priests and the Sanhedrin. 
that condemned Jesus to die. And they are the Jews. So the Jews killed Jesus. Jewish people have suffered because they have been labeled, even today, as Christ killers. This has led to periods of intense anti-Semitism. And during the first Christian crusade in 1096, thousands of Jews in Germany and France were killed. This crusade is also known as the Rhineland Massacres. And then while Columbus was sailing the ocean blue in 1492, Ferdinand and Isabella were removing all the Jews from Spain as a part of the Spanish Inquisition. They were given a simple choice. Leave Spain, convert to Catholicism, or die. And then we all know about the Holocaust between 1941 and 1945. How Adolf Hitler had millions of Jews killed. And part of his justification, it's told to us, was because they were known as the Christ killers. But it's terrible to assume and to believe that all Jews are responsible for the crucifixion. For the Bible says that a multitude of Jews followed Jesus. His twelve disciples were Jewish. For actually, it was a small group of religious leaders who plotted to kill Jesus. They were often known as the Jewish mafia. Matthew chapter 26 says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. Caiaphas was the high priest when Jesus was crucified. But he was really just the mouthpiece for his father, Ananias. Ananias was the godfather of the religious mafia of that day. When crime scene investigators are at a scene, they look for three things while they're there. Motive, means, and opportunity. The Jewish mafia had all three. What was their motive? This Jewish rabbi, Jesus, was threatening their power and their way of life. Jesus had openly challenged them by calling them a broad of vipers, whitewashed tombs. He said they were like blind leading the blind. And this religious mafia didn't take those threats very kindly. And like most mobs, they considered Jesus to be a troublemaker who had to be silenced Once and for all. Did they have the means? They could have stoned Jesus. And they tried to do it many times before. But the Jewish crowd was split. Because some loved Jesus. But some really hated him. This would be too risky. Their best strategy would to have the Romans execute Jesus. That would be their means. And this was the perfect opportunity. It was Passover festival time. And the Roman governor, Pilate, was going to be in town. So based upon their motive, their means and opportunity, some of the leading suspects for killing Jesus had to be the Jewish religious leaders. But they weren't the only ones who wanted Jesus killed. No, because there were other fingerprints at the scene of the cross as well. 
Was it the Romans that killed Jesus? For the Roman soldiers were the executioners of the day. They were simply following the rules and the orders of Pilate. Pilate understood that he was being used as a scapegoat for the Jewish leaders. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent of any of all crimes, and he washed his hands of it. But in order to soothe the Jewish leaders, Pilate hands Jesus over to the soldiers to be crucified. And in John 19, it says, Then Pilate gave Jesus to them to be crucified. They took Jesus and led him away, carrying the cross by himself. Jesus went to the place called Skull Hill. In Hebrew, it's called Golgotha. There, they crucified him. Have you ever noticed as you have read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John in your devotions or just reading those books that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John never go into any details about Jesus' crucifixion? All four of them simply say they crucified him. Where are the details of the crucifixion? Why don't we have a description of exactly what happened at the crucifixion? There's a very simple answer to this question. In the time in which the New Testament was written, every person there in that day had witnessed hundreds and hundreds of crucifixions. Just the word crucify would make some of those people cringe. I think that I can say this morning that none of us here have ever seen a real life crucifixion. We have no frame of reference. We don't really even get the agony of the crucifixion because the Bible doesn't describe it. It merely states it. We don't get our information about crucifixion from the Bible. We get it from all the historians that are there. Three centuries before Jesus' crucifixion, we know that Alexander the Great had 2,000 citizens of the city of Tyre crucified after he conquered the city. Crucifixions would usually be done by, a, by hanging a person on trees instead of crosses. Crucifixion was and is still today the most brutal kind of execution possible. But it was shameful. And the person crucified would linger for days before they would die. And when the Roman general Titus was conquering Jerusalem in 70 AD, we're told that he had 500 plus Jews crucified every day for weeks upon weeks. He wrote that there were not enough rooms for the crosses and not enough crosses for the bodies. As he did that horrific act. The Romans also practiced beheading. Which is much quicker and more merciful mode of execution. Romans historians and philosopher Seneca wrote this in a description of crucifixions. Can anyone be found who would prefer wasting away in pain. Dying limb by limb. Or letting out of his life drop by drop. Rather than expiring once and for all, 
Can any man be found willing to be fastened to an accursed tree, long, sickly, already deformed, swelling with ugly wounds on his shoulders and chest, and drawing out the last breath of life amid long drawings out of agony? So the Jewish leaders are the first suspects with their fingerprints. And the Roman government is the next one with their fingerprints. But as we look, there are other fingerprints on the scene at the cross. In fact, I want you to see these fingerprints. But we don't have to look in Scripture for these. Instead, we must look at our own hands, at our own fingers. Who killed Jesus? We did. Our sin was the murder weapon that killed Jesus. The reason Jesus came to earth was to die for your sins and mine so we can receive forgiveness. Had there never been any sin, there would have never been a need for the cross. I'm sure you remember the movie a few years ago, and we showed it a few years ago as well. The Passion of the Christ. And in one scene, we see Jesus is laid down on the cross and his arms are stretched out. And then you see a hand enter the frame of the picture, holding a long nail and a large iron hammer. This hand starts pounding the nail into the feet and the hands of Jesus. We are told that this hand in this clip is actually Mel Gibson's hand, the one who produced the movie. For it was his way of saying that we are the ones who sent Jesus to the cross. Shortly after this movie was released, Mel Gibson fell from popularity because of accused of all kinds of sins that he had committed. Why do I use Gibson as an illustration for us today? He's messed up. But so am I. And so are you. We all are, for that's why Jesus had to go to the cross. And in Isaiah 53, we read these words. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let me read that again in a different way. But he was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was upon him. And by his wounds I am healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the 19th century, a group of African-American slaves wrote these words and began to sing them every time they would gather to worship. 
Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? May I, and may I answer this question that those African-American slaves asked? Yes, we were there. We were there in the heart and in the mind of Jesus as he hung on that cross and he died for our sins. Rembrandt is perhaps the most famous Dutch artist of all time. He is he was deeply committed follower of Jesus. And from the time he was a very young boy, he didn't need to preach. He didn't need to teach. Instead of preaching or teaching, he painted many scenes from the Bible. And one of his most famous paintings is called the Elevation of the Cross. And if you would put that up there, Amanda, please. Somewhere there. It's kind of hard to see probably from where you are, especially in the back. But it pictures the moment the soldiers are raising the cross. You can see the hate and the anger on the faces of those other men. But in this famous, famous painting, Rembrandt actually painted himself in the picture. He's identified by the blue beret. See him? There he is. It was Rembrandt's unforgettable statement that we all had a part in the crucifixion of Jesus. His fingerprints were all over the cross, and so are ours. The great theologian John Stott wrote this. Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Indeed, the only man who is prepared to his own to share the guilt of the cross may claim his share in its in his grace. Who crucified Jesus? The Jewish leaders, the Roman government crucified Jesus, but we are also guilty. But when you really conduct a thorough cross scene investigation, we also discover there's another one. Who killed Jesus? God did. He offered his son as a sacrifice for sin. 700 years before the cross, the prophet Isaiah described the death of the Messiah as if he was standing there in front of the cross. The Jews were looking for a military Messiah to deliver them from the Roman rule. But if they had read their own scriptures, they would have seen the Messiah would be a suffering servant. Isaiah says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And throw. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Maybe you're asking, Pastor, why? Why would God send his son to die for such ungrateful people like us? There's one simple answer. 
love. We've heard of crimes of passion as we read all the magazines or see it on Facebook or on television. But the cross was a place of passion. But it wasn't for our passion. It was the loving passion of God who loved each and every one of us enough to send his son to die for us. John 3 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Who killed Jesus? The Jewish leaders did. The Roman government did. You and I did and God did. But when it comes to CSI, the cross scene investigation, just like on the television show, we have to simply close the case now. Just like on this show, at the end of the show, the case has always been closed. Because when it comes down to it, when someone asks us, who killed Jesus? Actually, it's a, it's a moot point. Because he's not dead. He's alive today. There can't be a murder trial if their supposed murder victim is alive. Peter understood this. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter said on the day of Pentecost, he spoke these words to the people of Jerusalem. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freed him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Who killed Jesus? The investigation is closed. Because there was never a body for available for an autopsy. Autopsy. You know what that word is. Thank you. Many people will be singing next Sunday, and I believe we will too. Robert Lowry's favorite song. Lo, in the grave he lay. Jesus, my Savior. Waiting the coming day. Jesus, my Lord. Up from the grave he arose. With a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Maybe you're here this morning. And you don't understand what's going on. With all the Easter stuff going on that we see around us. It's the old rugged cross. It's the cross that makes the difference. It's the empty tomb that makes the difference for us. And it can make the difference for each one of us this morning. Whatever we have going on in our lives. We all need more of Jesus. We all need more of Jesus in our lives. And my prayer is that we would be so filled that it would be overflowing. Candy's back from her three-month hiatus in from Pennsylvania taking care of some family business. And I saw her this morning. I ran out and I hugged Candy. I said, I'm so glad you're here. She said, you know, there's nobody else like you. 
wasn't sure how to take that. <laughs> but you know what? There isn't. Because I want to be filled to overflowing. And I want to be real. I'm not perfect, guys. You know that. You know that by now. But I want more of Jesus. And I want each and every one of us today to have more of Jesus. Because when we have more of Jesus, then people see a difference in us. May it be so. Let's stand this morning. Heavenly Father, today. Today is a great day. Because we are in your house. We are worshiping and praising and giving you thanks. And we just adore you today, Father, for what you have done. That you are not in the tomb anymore. That you are alive today. And we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to have victory. We can have victory in our lives today because of what you've done. And so, Father, I ask today that starting today, We would live in victory in every area of our lives as we surrender them to you, starting with our heart, our minds, and everything that you have given us. We would turn it back over to you and surrender to you. For you are the only one that can can make us whole and complete. Father, forgive us for being our handprints, our fingerprints at the scene. But Lord, I thank you that they were there because you needed to die so we could live, that we could be made whole. Oh, how we praise you today. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, I ask now that you would put a blessing upon your people. Wherever they go, as they sit, as they stand, as they lie down, would you bless them abundantly? And may we be a blessing to someone today, this week. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.